Hi, and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio and our show, Straight Stuff on Addictions. Um, our tag tonight is Peaceful, Calm, Quiet, A Nun's Journey. And our guest is Bikwini. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us tonight, where we are every Sunday night at 8 o'clock. Thanks to our engineer and sidekick and I think recently added the, the producer to that title. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, all in all, Chris Atwater. The name, if you know my name, you know that that name is very similar to mine, which might give you a clue. Yeah, we were talking about that last week. We don't usually mention that on the show, but yeah, it's yeah, it was a lot of team here. Yeah, we we did we did uh, we kind of outed ourselves last week. On that. <laughs> so, um, and we want to thank the provider of our intro music. Um, Brendan O, which we do every week, and um, this week's show is pre-recorded, so there won't be an opportunity for you to call in, although there usually is, um, and, and the call-in number just for future reference is 323-792-2977, or you can tweet us at Rick Atwater. Um, remember to check us out at recoveryinternetradio.com, that's recoveryinternetradio.com. And if you have questions about this show or any others, you can always get a hold of us. Uh, there's a there's an email contact in there, so yeah. please uh, give us give us a shout. You can you can go to that website for all the archive shows. Um, there's also some resources and contacts and other things that you that you might find interesting. Um, just a couple of mentions. We want to mention. Uh, are you gonna pl- are you gonna plug in the the, the Rose commercial when we? Okay. Yes, I will. So we won't do that. Um, I want to mention our friends, um, uh, some friends of ours that are musicians. Their band is called Double Take, and uh, you can go to doubletakechicago.com if you want to know what their schedule is. They're always fun. They're a rock and roll dance band, and they play in the Chicago area, and they're a lot of fun to listen to. So we hope that you uh, listen to them. And then we also have some friends um, who do cards for recovering events, uh, Dirty Laundry Designs. Yeah, those are cool. Yeah, they're really, co- they're really cool. And you can contact Colleen at DirtyLaundryDesigns.com. Easy to remember. Or uh, by calling 815-245-1209. That's 815-245-1209, Dirty Laundry Designs. And we also want to, one final shout-out here to... Um, uh, our our friend Dr. Tom Franz at Franz Chiropractic. He's a good buddy of ours, and uh, so if you need chiropractic care, that would be a great place to go. I don't have his phone number with me, so we'll have to plug that in later. <laughs> Just look up Franz. Just look up Franz. Dr. Franz. Okay, I think we're ready to go, um, uh, and I want to thank you for coming. And well, actually, for us, for coming because <laughs> <came to> <laughs> we came to you. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Bikwini. And uh, it's a it's a pleasure to um, be able to talk to you. And we appreciate your willingness to uh, to be a part of this. Well, I'm I'm. It's a pleasure for me, but I'm a little nervous, so I'll just well, yeah, go with the flow. We'll go with the flow <laughs> one way or the other. So, so the first question I I have is, we're in a place called the Blue Lotus Temple right now. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about the temple and what its focus is? Okay, well we're in the basement of the Blue Lotus Temple. So this <laughs> we're not is actually a, in the this temple. This is a itself. part of the building that's, that has not been uh, reconstructed or updated. 
we've we've met in this building for the last ten years, and we actually met in the basement, in the room we walked by, the big room we walked by. And uh, the this was the Unitarian Church, the mm-hmm. Uni- Universalist Unitarian Church mm-hmm. of Woodstock, and had been for oh, probably you know the building is over a hundred years old. Had it been um, the Unitarian Church that whole time? I, no, I think it had been different churches, oh. but the longest tenant w- had been the Unitarian Church. Mm-hmm. So we met here the way other community groups did in the basement. And when the church decided to sell the building because they are moving, they moved to a different spot in McHenry County, they offered us this building. They sold it to us. Hmm. And we were we had been looking for a building or looking for a space originally to build. Then we were looking for a building to buy, and then this one presented itself to and us. You were so here already. We were here already, and it was home for us. Mm-hmm. And we really had been welcomed in the community over mm-hmm. the years. So we bought the building and uh, spent the first six months reconstructing the upstairs. Mm-hmm. So we kept those beautiful stained glass windows that were part of the church's history and uh, built a Dama Hall and a, a office and a bookstore and library. Can you and, explain what a Dama Hall is? Well, Dama, we, call it, we call it our Dama Hall. Dama means uh, teachings or the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's our meditation hall. So mm-hmm. that's always set up as a quiet space where people can go to meditate. Mm-hmm. And we have our our, uh, Saturday and Monday evening. We we have all of our meditation sessions in that large room. So we have chairs and cushions, and someone can come in any time the building's open and sit Mm -hmm. there and and be uh, have quiet. Is there are there scheduled meditation times for group meditation? There are. We have our largest groups are Monday evening Mm -hmm. at seven and Saturday morning at Mm ten. Those are those groups we have now around maybe an average of fifty people at each session. Okay. So we've grown quite. We've grown. We were getting that big when we were down in the basement, but we've grown since the building has been open. We had our grand opening. I I really didn't like that phrase, but so our opening ceremonies was, was uh, the ceremony was in May, and we had that along with our Visakha Day celebration. Can you say what that is? Visakha Day is uh, in Buddhist cultures. Visakha Day uh, honors, celebrates the birth of the Buddha mm-hmm. and his enlightenment that he reached after many years of searching. And then it also celebrates his death, which we talk about as the final enlightenment, mm-hmm. because he lived another uh, 40 years past his enla- the time he was enlightened, mm-hmm. so he could teach and mm-hmm. teach the Dhamma to people who were interested okay. in it. So it's a big, uh, in, in Asian cultures, Buddhist cultures, it's just a big, wonderful holiday. It's like Christmas and Easter and, <laughs> you know, the 4th all, of July all combined. All combined. So we do it in one day, and was it just recently? It was in May. It was the end. Oh, of, in May. We okay. celebrated at the end of May. Okay. But what you'll find here in this country, different Buddhist temples pick different days to celebrate it, mm-hmm. and then they are able to invite people from other temples to come to their celebration, and uh, monastics often will go be invited to be part of the the ceremonial part. Mm-hmm. So there might be the month of May. And might be 
uh, the soccer day celebrations all every through, all through the month. Right. And what would you say is the? I, I don't know if it's the right question to ask, but the focus of the the focus of the temple here. Well, the focus for us is is basically our meditation practice, and it's also the development of of, of a community, mm-hmm. which in Buddhism we call our noble friends, or <laughs> other people who have the same uh, same motivation, the same goals, the same thinking about things. So there are noble friends because those are the people we can go to to really to get if we need advice, if we need uh, wholesome company, mm-hmm. you know, just a similar thinking. Okay. So it's we're developing a community of people and we're also offering that place where they can come for their spiritual practice, for training in the meditation practice, which is really the basic, most basic part of Buddhism. It seems like you've done pretty well with that. I think so. I think Bhante Sujata, who's the are the abbot, mm-hmm. but also the founder, the the monk who started Blue Lotus back ten years ago. Mm-hmm. He has a, an amazing personality and an ability to connect with people. Mm-hmm. People really feel like they connect personally with him. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big big part of it. There is so two questions. We were talking a little bit before before the show about Bikuni. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit of something about your name and then the your 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 full how you would be addressed your full name and then oh okay bikuni is actually would be the same as a title it would be uh, bikuni means a female monk okay so I'm a, a and I earned earned that title when I took my full ordination mm-hmm. which for me was uh, about two and a half years ago mm-hmm. so that there, there aren't too many of you are there there aren't very many of us in the West <laughs> or in the world for that matter how many do you think um, in the in in North America, maybe hmm, in the Theravada tradition, which is the monastic tradition I'm in, there may be twenty hmm. in this in this country. Okay. And Westerners maybe fifteen. So hmm. not, many. not many. So I'm the only one in this area, which mm-hmm. is why I don't live in a monastery because there just aren't monasteries for Buddhist nuns in this country. <laughs> yeah, it'd be very, but yeah. Yeah, a monastery for one. My, that's, what, that's what I yeah. live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very connected with the monks here at Blue Lotus, mm-hmm. and there are three mm-hmm. monks now. So we're very much like a family. Mm-hmm. And the monks live here next door to the temple, and mm-hmm. I live in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is why we have meditation groups in Wisconsin. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Those and, are the ones that I lead. And so Bikuni is your title. That's my title. And then you mentioned that... that my Buddhist name yeah. is, is Wimala, okay. which was given to me by Bhante Sujata. And then that's the name that I've kept through the ordination process. I see. So Wimala is a Pali word that means clarity. Hmm. And Bikuni means female monastic. Hmm. So what we're people will call me all different things here at Blue Lotus depending on how long they've known me. Mm-hmm. You know, was it before I was ordained or after? Uh-huh. And the the more proper title, if we were teaching people, especially to how to relate to the whole Buddhist world, would be to call me Bikuni. Mm-hmm. So that's a great yeah. That's that's how you introduce yourself to me, and that's right. how I know you now. So 
That was a good teaching. Right. Say a little something about the tradition. You mentioned the tradition that you were ordained in. Yes. That there's there's obviously then there's other traditions. The the two main traditions. So the Buddha began in India. That's where he lived. Mm -hmm. And Buddhism is much less in India now because mm -hmm. it was kind of wiped out over mm -hmm. time. But the but as he as he ordained monks and nuns and kind of sent them off, there were uh, people that traveled into China, and there were other people that came a more southern route, went into Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand. Mm -hmm. So the ones who kind of took that more northern path, now those are the the traditions we call Mahayana. Mm -hmm. So that would include China. Japan, Tibet, uh, and into Vietnam mm -hmm. and Korea, and then the southern route was those. That's the Theravada oh. group, and so that's uh, based more in Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand, and uh, right up to Vietnam. I see, and that's you, that's the tradition. And that's that the tradition we are. Okay. So this, the, and there's very little in terms of essential Buddhist teachings. A very little difference, but culturally there's a lot more difference, and there are a f some different uh, concepts. So the Theravada tradition is very much based on the Pali Canon, which are the original teachings that were memorized and then written down. Mm -hmm. The Mahayana tradition has picked up teachings from teachers along the way, so their teachings. They have teachings from a more uh, uh, recent mm -hmm. strain of teachers. Yeah, as, as you explained it when we talked before, I was I I, I used and I, I showed you the question, kind of like Methodists and Lutherans. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a little of a tacky uh, description, but I. I well, that's a description I probably use too. It's a okay. little bit like uh, maybe different denominations. Okay. But there is a real effort, especially in this country, to 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 really connect all those. Oh, okay. So there are a lot of um, because we have all of that in this country, we really try to connect with each other. And I think because there aren't there there we don't have countries that are this is not a country that's all a Buddhist country, you know. So right. you see a lot more interaction between Zen and. Uh, the Vietnamese temples in Chicago are always uh, con we connect with them a lot with our celebrations they invite us to theirs and they come to ours so mm -hmm. we see a lot more uh, connecting which is a really positive thing I think the differences are yeah. so minor they're they're very they're very much more culturally based I can see, yeah I can see why we mm -hmm. want to connect because the, the community is not, isn't that large that's right yeah um, so maybe we can, yeah. I kind of want to get some, back, you know, have some background for mm -hmm. people to understand where where we're where we're coming from. And now maybe to switch gears to be a, a you know a little bit more personal with you and, and ask you, um, where would you say your spiritual journey started? How would you describe the beginnings of that? Hmm. Uh, well, I, I was raised in a very very fundamentalist. Conservative family in the, in the Texas, South. You were, yeah, you were from Texas. Texas right. We talked about that. Yeah. And um, when I when I left to go to college, I left that church, mm. and that's that was that was the beginning. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So my first experience was to be very uh, grounded in that fundamentalist church, and then, then knowing that that I was leaving that, mm-hmm. and then that that was the beginning. So several years I didn't want to have anything to do with any kind of religion or spiritual path, mm-hmm. and that I only saw you, you were either one thing or the other, and then that proved to be pretty unsatisfying for me so after about five or six years I became interested in looking at different paths and studying different things. Mm-hmm. I lived in California for a long time, lived in Japan and over the years just... Um, what took you to Japan? I, I went there to teach English and oh, you did. Had a, my, one of my brothers was living there at the time and I visited him so I was there for three years no interest in Buddhism at the time, mm-hmm. so but I was had you know made some different journeys into different spiritual paths. Which which what did you what did you look at there? Um, in Japan, nothing. Oh, that, that was okay. very much a you that know interesting about. culture, and I love the temples, and right. but I wasn't drawn to that at mm-hmm. the time. And uh, and then at one point when I came back from Japan and I was married and had my two children. At that point, I went back into Christianity, mm-hmm. and I went into a liberal congregational church in mm-hmm. Wisconsin, and I really felt like that was really important for me. That was mm-hmm. where I really healed from that from negative, fundamental, right. more fundamental approach. Yeah. And I and I was very involved in that church, and um, that was that was a really good experience. And then that became. I don't want to say not enough, but it was clear to me that was. Would you have ever not dreamed? I mean, this is this this isn't on the list, so I, <laughs> I warned you. But would you have ever dreamed at that time that you would be where you are now? I mean, no, no, because it was at about that time that I started, um, you know, going to uh, meditation in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And it was also during that time that I started uh, becoming involved in 12-step programs. Mm-hmm. So I was doing all of that. And I think for me at that point, it was more just dealing with issues going on in my life. Mm-hmm. And I had been, this. I, I was trying for a while to hold the Christianity thing together and the 12-step part was working and then I started coming to meditation in uh, Milwaukee and you know pretty quickly started to shift that the meditation was what I've been looking for. How did you find that meditation in Milwaukee? Was it a fluke or did you have a friend? Or I, it, was, it was with a friend but it was a fluke to find that center. There was a mm-hmm. teacher that some Japanese friends of ours had said if you ever can meet this Tibetan teacher mm-hmm. If he ever comes to America, go and listen to him. Mm-hmm. So we found out that that particular teacher was coming to Milwaukee I see. to the Shambhala Center. Mm-hmm. And we'd never heard of the Shambhala Center, and neither one of us had done meditation. But we went to hear that particular teacher mm-hmm. and stayed for a retreat he was doing. And at the end of the weekend, asked if we could take our the, the uh, precepts to become Buddhist. Hmm. So it was very, it was really like just something cracked open. Just, it just yeah, fell in place. Just fell in place. Right. Yeah. You were you were still living in uh, some... Living in, in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, and I still am in that same area. Mm-hmm. So 
So that was about an hour from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're still living with your husband and kids? No, I can't be a nun and be married. So, mm-hmm. but right, that was there, during that period was my my making a decision mm-hmm. about my marriage, and mm-hmm. um, I did get a divorce. So mm-hmm. the, my kids and I stayed right in that same area, mm-hmm. you know, right in their same school district, and close to their dad. And even at that point, I never would have dreamed I'd become a Buddhist nun. That was not, that <laughs> that was not in the, the cards. That wasn't in the plans at that time. No, no. Does anybody? I mean, does anybody plan for something like that? I don't. I know. don't know. I don't think. I don't. I don't know. I think it doesn't happen that way. I think it's just kind of a suddenly, the idea comes into your head or, or presents itself some way, and then it may just be. You know, where what I, where I was in my life when it became something I thought about was when my kids were going off to college, and then I realized, well, that's a possibility. That's probably something that I've thought about without knowing I was thinking about it. Idea. Yeah, that was back there somewhere. You know, like I know in, in maybe in big big Catholic families, you know, we're you know this is grossly stereotypical, but you know. This one's going to be a cop, and this one's going to be a fireman, and this one's going to be a priest. We got to have, you know, probably got to throw a lawyer in there somewhere. You know, I don't know if they, that didn't if, happen in my family. That wasn't, that wasn't the way. Was. I don't know if that, you know, if that's the way it is in Sri Lanka when you're. We're going to have a. We're going to have a nun. We're going to have a. I don't know. Maybe. But but not here. Not here. Yeah. No. So anyway, that kind of, that kind of came out of the blue for you. That's well, it did, and I had been I had been going to Shambhala Center for seven years mm-hmm. and then I saw a little note in the library or the post office where I lived that this Buddhist monk from Sri Lanka was coming to teach a meditation class mm-hmm. and that I, you wouldn't have that was undreamed of that would never have happened even a few years before and it why, turned why is that well in Wisconsin at that time which was seven or eight years ago there just weren't any meditation groups oh okay so just, or Buddhist groups yeah just, right just not, and and he was coming to teach the class at a yoga studio, literally about three blocks from my house. Uh, uh. So, and and it turned out the people who had arranged for him to come were, were people I knew pretty well. Mm-hmm. So they had been coming here and met Bhante Sujata, and that was in the early days of the it basement was, it was here. He- who came to teach the class? He's the one who came to teach okay. the class. His schedule okay. was still open enough, and he wasn't as busy as he is. It would it was it was amazing? So I lived really close, and I was really interested in going to all the meditations. And my schedule on Saturdays was open. So pretty quickly, I became the one that who unlocked the building and set the cushions up, and mm-hmm. and then I bring some tea. And if he if he got there early and I was early, he would sit and we'd have tea and talk. And so I really had a great opportunity to get to know him pretty well. Okay. And so it was within that first year that we started talking about it. And at this at the time you're describing, are you still living in in your family situation, or are you already no out family situation? I I I was divorced time. about had been divorced about ten or twelve years at mm-hmm. that point. I, I see. Okay. Yeah, and had and my kids were one daughter had graduated from high school, and my mm-hmm. son, my youngest, was in his last year or two of high school. What What do your uh, What do your kids think of what you're doing? 
how do they how do they they were uh, Bonte in my situation usually if you ordain to become a monastic your parents have to give permission mm-hmm. that's in cultures where it's done at a much younger age right and my situation being different Bonte said well we don't we don't have to ask your mother <laughs> <laughs> but but I but I, your kids need to give their approval so he right. talked to them and they had met him over the year but he talked to them and made sure it was okay with them, and he 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 officially got their approval for it. So were you living? You, so you were living as a single mom yes. for quite some time. Yes, since yeah. the kids were in uh, first and third grade, I and think. When can you talk a little bit about? You mentioned that you 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 started in some twelve step mm-hmm. program work somewhere along the way. I, I would assume before, was that that was prior to your divorce. Yes, prior to my divorce, and then through my divorce, and then. Then actually, I was in a 12-step group um, up until I started going to meditation in mm-hmm. uh, Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and that was it. Just became a schedule conflict, mm-hmm. so I kept a sponsor after that, and still would go to retreats and mm-hmm. go to different um, 12-step functions that mm-hmm. I could. But I ended up. With a with a job I had where I had to go to night meetings and then trying to make it to Milwaukee, <laughs> you know my involvement yeah. with that twelve step group. Um, I I think too I had always had trouble, not trouble. I had I had always had to really work hard with the twelve step group with the with some you know the higher power mm-hmm. concept and mm-hmm. uh, one group I was in and my sponsor at the time. It was, who I did a lot of work with, and we went through all the steps, but it was a very christian focused twelve step group mm-hmm. and um i I had already made that you know I was in the process of making that transition and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what my higher power who my higher power was right right so the transition well, kind of you were keeping a kind of keeping a sponsor doing some things but you more and more schedule-wise had gone to, towards the uh, meditation in Milwaukee. Right. And I think that was answering some of the questions that I had, too, about right. finding a higher power and what that was for me. Yeah. And, the, and uh, it was a better fit. Yeah. And, and I found and have always found there are a lot of 12-step folks in Buddhist groups so it's a very comfortable language to speak, mm-hmm. and it's a very comfortable way to relate to people. Uh, and it feels like they are—they're looking for the same things. Yeah, I—I—I I, I, I love that people. There is the freedom to find, you know, the, your higher power as you understand mm-hmm. that higher power. Maybe that maybe that would bring bring an interesting question again one of those that's not on the sheet but what would you say if I, if I were to ask you how you would describe your higher power? Well, I think, and this changes all the time, but for me it would be the, the Dhamma that we that we talked about, meaning the the truth, the truth, mm-hmm. and and I think the Buddha kind of got it. I think he. He really, what he found and what he was looking for was uh, truth that makes made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. It it felt right. It felt like a, a missing pieces, or it felt like mm-hmm. a way that put everything together in a way I could have 
uh, a way that gave me confidence. So in Buddhism, we don't talk about faith, or we will talk about faith, but what we are talking about more is uh, a confidence in what we're doing, Mm -hmm. a confidence in the direction we're going. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a combination of the truth and the teachings that we can read about and hear about, but we're also, through our own meditation practice, we are experiencing those truths for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the confidence we have is what keeps us on that path. Like, okay, I can read about this teaching or hear someone talk about it, but I know from my own practice that that's true. Mm -hmm. It it rings true, it's true in everything that I experience. And so that's the confidence I have in that path. Mm -hmm. So I think those teachings are what gives me the, 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 that's what I think of as my higher power. I see, yeah. And that, and, and you had to, you had to find that in your, in your way. I mean, that's a, when you, when you think about it, that's a long way from fundamental Christianity. (laughs) That's a long, that's a long haul. But, but you had, that's, that, and, it fits with what you know the the focus of what we what we in very very much in terms of what we wanted to talk about is your journey mm-hmm. you know because i mean everybody everybody has their own i guess it's easier if you walk into a church and it fits with your beliefs and off you go but i don't really know that it's that way for for too many people for too many people right so i think that's why it's so helpful to have someone like you be able to articulate what your journey was mm. because I think that's helpful to people to hear this. I do think people can relate to it because people will often say to me you know there's there's parts of my story that are their story too mm-hmm. and it's 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 good to hear someone with the same story yeah it's reassuring <laughs> that yeah. you're not alone you know yes. Or maybe maybe it's okay. Maybe even part of it is that it's okay to be confused. Yes. I, I don't know about you, but I I mean that's. I, I think that's true. Yeah. That it's okay to have that kind of journey that looks a little crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's like um, a requirement? Maybe to be Buddhist in this. Oh. <laughs> I looked under my hand. <laughs> Sometimes it'd be nice if we had a video show. Yeah, yeah, if we could video this, that would be, it would be, yeah. What is that? Okay, sorry. I think that's a good point, though. I, I, I connect with that personally, too, that, that there is more than one path. And, um, you know, and I think sometimes that can be uh, an obstacle to people that, mm-hmm. that maybe feel that calling but don't quite know where to go. Right. And I know, I think that's why a lot of people are, who have had that same kind of path are attracted to the Buddhist teachings mm-hmm. because one of the first things someone will say is no one's asking you to uh, give up a spiritual path that you're on. No one's, we're not asking you to join anything or to uh, become part of this group. It's, it's, for most people, it's something, it's like a supplementary uh, part of your spiritual path, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's a way, it's a way of thought or a way of of being that you can add to. You can add to, and the practice of meditation can be added to the practice of prayer and contemplation, and you know it can all be part of that same spiritual path. 
So they're in any group of uh, at a Buddhist meditation, there may be just a handful of people who would identify themselves as a Buddhist, mm-hmm. and the other people would say this this fits in really well with the twelve step program mm-hmm. I'm in, or with my church, or with my. Yeah, you mentioned that there you you find a lot of twelve step people coming yes. into this temple in particular or in general? Uh, well, I think I certainly found that in Milwaukee at the Shambhala right. Center, which was more of a Tibetan tradition. Yeah. Um, and and I think if you pick up any Buddhist writing, there are several books now, and there are groups like Dhamma Punks who, who actually are really, they base their teachings of the Buddhist teachings on the 12-step. They integrate the 12 steps in the Buddhist teachings. Oh, okay. They specifically work with people in recovery. So I think all Buddhist groups have had, since they first came to this country, a big population of 12-step people. And I, and I frankly think that there's there's plenty of people out there, I don't know what you think about this, but I think there's plenty of people, 12-step people in particular, who don't wouldn't identify themselves so much with the Christian tradition but since that that the since that that's the majority of people here in this country do, mm-hmm. uh, and people who are you know they feel a little confined by that, right? And 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 this is a, this is a way maybe to explore something outside of that. Yes. Yeah. And they, and add it to their twelve step program. It yeah. may help them answer some of those questions that they can't with the the specific group that they're with. Well, I think it's a great it's a great message to hear that this is not in this isn't a replacement for this is an addition to right. things that you do you can add meditation to to anything right and and that's I, I don't know if that's common I don't know if that's common knowledge you know well it may not be because a lot of there are a lot of people who think if if someone in their family goes to a Buddhist temple that they're they're changing their religion yeah. <clears throat> And, and yeah. that's really not the case. Do you, can you talk a little bit about um, uh, how how you see the the twelve Buddhism and the twelve steps being compatible? Well, I think I I like the idea of surrender, <clears throat> and I think in Buddhism that's what we're always trying when we're practicing meditation. I think what we're always talking about is letting go and relaxing mm-hmm. and letting go of our thoughts, letting go of um, the tension that we carry around. And and to me, for me, that's I, I can connect that to mm-hmm. the concept of surrendering. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to fix things. We're not trying to be a fixer. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to judge or control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I think we're trying to work with, we're trying to work with our minds and let go of our kind of compulsive needs to uh, think that we can think through every situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how that's how I relate to that concept. And then I think doing the fearless moral inventory. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing that all the time when we sit with ourselves, mm-hmm. and we're doing it without. Thinking, okay, I did this bad thing, this bad thing, this bad thing. We're we're allowing ourselves to sit in silence and and let go of all that mental processing we do with everything and be with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's a non-judgmental way of 
taking the inventory. Or it's not really taking an inventory. It's just allowing things. Allowing things. Yeah. And I think we're we're always working with finding our own basic goodness mm-hmm. and letting those things that are that are not so good that have become ha- our habits, our mm-hmm. habitual mm-hmm. patterns of behavior. Uh, we're we're able to see those more clearly and just let go of them. Mm-hmm. But we're always working with the idea that our 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 essence is basic goodness. Mm-hmm. And so that other stuff is just stuck on to us hmm. through through this lifetime. Yeah, there's a, uh, yeah, like a carrying around a bag of rocks. Exactly. Let go of the rocks. Just let yeah. them go. Yeah. Right. You don't need to be dragging that around. Right. And I think of Velcro, like we're kind of Velcro and we just let stuff stick to us. <laughs> but we we can let go of that. Yeah. So there's there's actually so all, all the way from surrender, mm-hmm. which is pretty much a fundamental concept of the twelve steps, through the letting go process, the third step, the coming to believe, and the third step, and then the inventory steps, and then the sixth and seventh step, which are the letting go of the bag of rocks right. steps, and then of course the next steps are the, clean, the more or less the the connecting with the rest of the human race and and the uh, the amends and the mm-hmm. cleaning up the cleaning up the cleaning messes, it up and steps. then maintaining that and then maintaining it yeah and I think we do that through our practice too one we have our we have we do develop a community of people mm-hmm. to help us maintain that way of thinking and that way of being mm-hmm. and uh, we're always kind of turning more and more towards that what we call in Buddhism wholesome lifestyle mm-hmm. which is uh, that instead of negative thinking, you know, a different way of thinking and a different way of relating. How does the how does the community help help with that? Just the support of of of, of thinking the the same thinking, or is there actually a process of connecting with people, or how does that work? I think it works more uh, when we for a lot of people <clears throat> coming together. To practice meditation is the way people get started mm-hmm. and the way they actually uh, learn the discipline of sitting. And you'll hear people say all the time, it's too hard for me to do it at home. Mm. It's too noisy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm too distracted. Yeah. Uh, I can't sit for very long. And so, one, when you provide a spot where you've got either a quiet place to come or you're sitting with a group of people, it's always easier. It's all you know, you and then little by little you're learning that, that you're being trained in being able to sit. Mm. Then you can sit for thirty minutes and you can do it uh and actually actually bring your breath back your attention back to your breath a mm-hmm. few times at least. Mm-hmm. So that encourages people that they to be able to do it on their own, mm-hmm. and then people people just casually you know become interested in activities that might be going on, so they get more involved and meet people that way. There isn't any special uh, agenda or program to do that, but it's more being around other people. So if you if there was something you were dealing with and you wanted. Advice. This mm-hmm. might be the group of people you would want to go to, mm-hmm. because in the same way, I think in a twelve-step group, you you have your sponsor, you have you have the other people in your group. You know those people will see through your 
Yeah. You know, your BS. <laughs> you know, those people yeah. know what the real issue. They'll see through more quickly to the real issue. And so that's the same with with the Sangha. And and I I would I would imagine that people that are here are seekers of the truth. I think so. That's yeah. And so they may come because they want to uh, lower their blood pressure or mm-hmm. their doctors recommended it or mm-hmm. they may come for a lot of other reasons. But if they stay with it, I think people also are drawn to the to the teachings and the truth. What happens when you can... What happens, I guess, emotionally or spiritually when maybe... Maybe it's one or the other or both. When you can sit for thirty minutes or fifty minutes, when you can when you can reach that that quietness, what is the what happens? What happens? Well, I think it's it's always um, it's never there's never an end point. So it's always a process. You may be able right away to sit for 30 minutes very quietly mm-hmm. and feel really happy about that. And then maybe the next week you can't sit for a minute. <laughs> so it's never... It's never. Um, it's not a goal-oriented... No, it's it, it's not a goal-oriented path. And it's not... Uh, we, we always tell people to just let go of their expectations because people will assume... Okay, when I can sit for 30 minutes without wiggling, then I'm something wonderful will happen. <laughs> and that just means you can sit for 30 minutes without wiggling. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. You don't get a, you don't get a, you don't get a gold star or a certificate or anything. Not at all, or a title. Or, uh-huh. And so even even people who have been meditating 30, 40 years, they'll say they have times when it's difficult to even sit. Mm-hmm. And and we have monkey mind, which is that you know our minds just going off after every little spot of dust in the air we have that all the time so what we might come to expect is when we see ourselves really uh, bouncing all over the place we see it sooner we may see that uh, faster and notice that when we get that way our bodies feel bad we have tension we make we say things that we wish we hadn't said. You know, we we're, we we feel mm-hmm. physically and emotionally like we're losing control, mm-hmm. and we begin to connect it with that monkey mind. Mm-hmm. So we we begin to know. I need to. I really need to sit. Mm-hmm. I need to be quiet. I need to uh, get back to what I know. And so we're not. We're never able to. Uh, completely reach that point until we've reached enlightenment mm-hmm. but we don't have that as a goal We have, the goal is really I want to be able to know what's going on with my mind and work with it uh, and then be able to see the signs in my body that tell me maybe things are not going so well or this tension might be connected to a thought I keep having about a certain situation so we're learning a lot of things just from knowing our bodies better. And we can do that by the practice of meditation. Mm-hmm. That's sitting with ourselves. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can see that. One of the things in uh, 
that I was thinking about here is it, as you were explaining it is uh, that there's a there's a separation of self and mind that I'm not my mind and, right. and there's a there's a phrase in the 12-step programs that you might be familiar with and that is we've got a disease in which our brains are trying to kill us <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right <laughs> so this is kind of the antidote for uh, for self-destruction right in some respects because if you think you're your mind and you're you're only connected to that and it's telling you things right that that are self-destructive off you go there you go yeah right yeah so this would be a this is a way to look at that and start seeing, okay, my mind is doing its own thing. It's totally separate from what I want it to be doing. Uh, and I can't completely shut it down. I can't completely control it. But I can learn, okay, that's just a thought. That's nothing more than a thought. Mm-hmm. And I can sit and watch that thought come and not have to act on it, watch it stay there for a while, not have to act on it, and then watch it go. Mm-hmm. So we're just learning that thoughts are thoughts, and they're they are not who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think the practice of meditation itself is a strategy for letting the thought go. Yeah, I, I think that's a very clear uh, antidote for right. for you know because there's people that have lots of thoughts and follow them all the time. And right. Some of those aren't you know don't take us in really good places. So. And I can see the connection between that. Um, one of the things we talked about um, was, uh, well, a couple of things. Do you get do you get any? Uh, how do you handle skepticism about about your practice, or don't? Or isn't that an experience that you have? Um, oh, I have a I have a lot of that experience <laughs> when I go home uh, for a visit. <clears throat> I think if if I. I think it's very, this is for me personally, for me it's very important that I don't try to proselytize or tell people. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will ask and want, may want to know and they may be interested in what the practice does for me. But if someone's skeptical about it, I, I, that's fine. I was skeptical about it too before mm-hmm. I showed myself that it, that it worked. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think skepticism is... Uh, no problem with Maybe that. Maybe skepticism is a step to understanding. Well, I think so, because if someone just, if they're skeptical, they may have good questions, they may have some ideas of their own that it would be valuable to listen to, mm-hmm. and it doesn't threaten me in any way. You know, it's not anything, it's not, um, that doesn't belong to me. That's their skepticism. It's not mine. So. Mm-hmm. That's a separate thing. Yeah. So... And this is another thing that we talked about a little bit before we started, but um, would you describe how would you describe yourself and i i I gave you the I gave you this we threw this out would the, and and it's a, your response was so interesting I think it's worth talking about <laughs> a little bit i my the choices I gave you in my limited way were would you consider yourself a religious person, a spiritual person, a recovering person how would you how would you describe yourself? <laughs> what? Oh, I know. I, I said it depends on the day or what I had just done. So right. maybe it might be a nun. It might be um, a mom. It might be 
I can't even remember what the other one was. You said sister? Oh, a sister? Oh. A daughter? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think it, I, I don't, I think it's very, for me anyway, it's very important that I wear that title as uh, being a nun, a Buddhist monk. I need to wear that pretty lightly because the my being a monastic is just my, it's my personal choice of how I'm following this path. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, my spiritual path is following the teachings that that I think are the teachings of the Buddha and, and developing my meditation practice. But my choice to be a monk to do it is just, it's just a personal decision. It doesn't make me any different from anybody else. Although my head, you know, don't have hair and yeah, wear a robe. Yeah, you wear a robe, but that, besides that. But other than that. <laughs> just a regular person. Yeah. But you don't always, I mean, you always have your head shaved. That you can't change. But right. You don't always wear robes, you said. Right. There sometimes. are times when I will wear regular clothes, mm-hmm. which is unusual in Asian countries. You wouldn't see that. But there might be certain things that I'm going to do or certain things I'm involved in where I may wear. And you... you you work also. You do some some outside work outside the temple. I do. I just do. I do some part time work right mm-hmm. now. Okay. So and before when I first became a nun, I was teaching in a prison, mm-hmm. and and I couldn't wear robes there, yeah. just because of the I mean the separation of church and state, but the right. but the safety issue of right concealed weapons or whatever yeah. contraband and, right yeah. so. Um, and that was okay. That that was something that's between my teacher and myself. Mm-hmm. And Bhante Sujata, who ordained me, is my teacher, and he's the person I went to. And he said, "No, that's good work. Being a teacher is good work." And when he began, came and started Blue Lotus, he had to work in a. Uh, he worked in a job as a, a caretaker at mm-hmm. the Pioneer Center. And so he knew the realities are that we have to support ourselves as ourselves as monastics in this Mm -hmm. country. And and you mentioned you're not and Buddhist nuns don't marry. Right. That was a requirement is you have to be celibate. Mm -hmm. So it's it's fine that I was divorced. That was not an Mm -hmm. issue at all. Mm -hmm. But but as long as I'm a nun, I can't have a relationship or be married. I see. Okay, because I know that that's something that people would. Wonder, you know, are Buddhist nuns the same as, uh, you know, a Catholic nun or a whatever? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's and monks. The same rules apply for monks, of course. Mm-hmm. So, there are some schools <clears throat> in Buddhism. Some there's some uh, in Zen and in some Tibetan mm-hmm. uh, lineages. There are teachers who can marry and have mm-hmm. families. So, it, it is not the same with all. So, mm-hmm. it is confusing sometimes for. But people. not in your tradition. In Theravada tradition, no, that's not it. It's just straight. It's just it, yeah, <laughs> easy to easy to answer. Easy. <laughs> so, your answer to the question basically is: you would you would say, if we had to choose religious, spiritual, or or recovering, it would be none of the above. You're what what you are uh, yeah. on the day that I am. <laughs> yeah, I am what I am. How about right? today? What are you today? <laughs> Today is probably uh, Buddhist nun day. Okay. Yeah. Good. I have. Because uh, that's who I was hoping to interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those and those are. I mean, frankly, those are the days that life is is best for me, is smoothest. Yeah. Because uh, it feels like there's more uh, just continuity 
in my life and my day. And so I'll end the day today. I have a meditation class in mm-hmm. Wisconsin tonight mm-hmm. and have a couple of other things this afternoon. So um, it's it's easier that way. But when the, when it's a day where there's um, dealing with the auto mechanic and dealing with, mm-hmm. say, an issue, one of my, my kids are adults, but they're still my kids, uh, dealing with something that they want some help with or or I mean, those are. It's really difficult to be a layperson. You yeah, know? <laughs> that's the that's a mom day or a auto yeah. mechanic dealing with day or right. Or my mom who's still in Houston mm-hmm. has some medical issues coming up. You know, mm-hmm. deciding if I'm going to fly to Houston or what mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. So it's. Uh, I I really understand why the ideal role for a monastic is to be a little bit separate from that. But it's that's, that would seem like a luxury that we don't have in this country. Yeah, and and, and, I, and personally, yeah. I wouldn't want to be separated from the family that I have. So it works for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I see how I see how it would be difficult. On the other hand, it fits really well with the one day at a time concept that, that we exactly. About. It's you know one moment at a time in some respects. Exactly. You're not defining yourself by what you do what you you know we're not saying this is what you are we're looking at what you're doing and in in, in the moment and the and of course for ever anyone the difficulties of any spiritual practice are it's it's what you do when you're not sitting on the cushion or in the church building or it's when you're dealing with all those other things so i think that for the monastics here at blue lotus and for myself the fact that we're dealing with the real world a lot just makes us uh, more sensitive to the kind of issues that everyone has to deal with. Yeah, I, I see how that... Whether it's paying your rent, in. paying your bills, sure. you know, all of that, those are real issues for all of us. You're, you're, you're in it. If, if I could ask you, um, you know, you've been through quite a few transitions over a period of time from the from the from the fundamental tradition to a less fundamental church to a in some twelve step work and into the Buddha, into meditation and then into the Buddhist tradition and then into your you know now right. being ordained right if you could if you could give people who are listening um, some either advice or how did you do it? How, how did that happen? How did you survive that that radical change? And, and, and how would you how would you recommend that people? What would you tell them if they're in the journey? If they're somewhere in the journey and they're confused Ooh. or struggling? It's well, we're all we're always confused and feel like we're struggling. <laughs> I think for me, it just I think I must have been really open to a, a, allowing a lot of change to come into my life. I don't know why I was, or uh, I don't know what ca- what were the causes of that, but um, change was just as hard for me each time as it would be for anybody else. But mm-hmm. I think I must I had the belief that there there was something bigger or another adventure. Uh, I, when I had my kids, I really didn't think be, uh, two years before I had my daughter, I would have thought I would never have kids. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing to do, though, is to it, 
really embrace each of those phases. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved having my children and having a family, and that was, uh, I think, that's an experience. They, I consider my kids my best teachers, mm-hmm. and they're they're what grounded me for a while. You know, in a certain location and mm-hmm. a certain path. Mm-hmm. So. I think I think the only thing I would not like would be to look back and have regrets about uh, those different phases in my life. And I think, oh, I have, uh, you know, I always think, uh, I think I have regrets that my children had to come from a divorced family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, and that's, that's I think every single mother I have ever talked to who's been through a divorce feels that way. Mm-hmm. Like that's just something we don't that we just would not we would rather our children didn't have to experience that. Right. No matter how wonderful their lives turn out, it just seems like oh, if only we could have done that differently. Right. And we can't, you know, we we also know at the same right. time we couldn't have. But I think uh, I think if we embrace each of those phases and then we can let them go. Maybe even the regrets? Well, the regrets especially, because okay. I, I feel like I'll have days where I know those regrets are, I mean, that's just, there's no point in that. Right. And uh, those are hard, That that's one that's hard for me to let go of. Other things are much easier. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, you, I did it, did the best I could do with whatever that phase mm-hmm. was, and then I knew when it was time to move on. Maybe more in spiritual teachings, I kind of had a sense when it was time to to move on. Well, it sounds like that that the um, what you're saying is you're you're advising people to embrace the process, whatever wherever they are in the process, whatever the process is, whether right. it's regrets, whether it's joys, and, and be patient with it too. I mean, I, I think impatience is is a, a has been a problem for me in my life, hmm. and. And I know that impatience is the thing that causes us to uh, feel like that's when we will have regrets, is if we mm-hmm. feel like we have to move too fast or um, move on to something and we're not really clear that we're finished with what we're in. I mm-hmm. think it's really important to finish an experience. And you have to have patience to do that. Right, right. And patience to do the practice. and. Well, I feel um, I feel like we've covered most of what I wanted to ask. Are there any oh, things good. that you would want to add to what you've said, or any things that you would want to say to? Well, I, the only thing I would say is I I think this particular situation, having Blue Lotus Temple here mm-hmm. and Bhante Sujata here mm-hmm. and the other monks, it is it is a unique situation. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't realize that sometimes until they come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so unusual to have a Buddhist temple that's made up of Westerners. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are lots of Buddhist temples in this country, but they're primarily the different ethnic communities. Yeah. So people may not even speak English. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole idea of having a Buddhist teacher with that really firm grounding that Bhante Sujata and the other monks do, having them here speaking English, working with Westerners, it's a it's it's like this is a pretty amazing opportunity. It was for me. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have taken this path if it hadn't been for Bhante Sujata. Um, 
it's it's such a an amazing what a coincidence. I'm from Texas and I ended up living <laughs> in Wisconsin. accidentally in Wisconsin. Right. Uh, and then found found my teacher here. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just how how does that happen? Yeah, I I, I don't know. Yeah, so it's but it's it a beautiful coincidence or a beautiful opportunity that and a great resource for us, for everybody, but especially those you know for the for the listeners of this show who are, who are what we would describe as recovering people right. for the most part. Um, and you described very well how that fits and what what, what a great resource it would be for right. them to, to do. So I, I thank you for taking the time to talk and and uh, explaining things. And well, thank you. It, it was my my pleasure. Thank you.